declare that over our lives right now. We are not alone. Your word declares that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. Father, forgive us for trying in our own strength to serve you, for trying in our own strength to solve our problems, for trying in our own strength to make things fit or work in our lives and not leaning upon you. God, forgive us for trusting in our own wisdom and trying to lean on our own understanding when you've called us to trust you. God, forgive us for trying to take your word and try to apply it to our lives without really seeking you diligently. Forgive us for trying to use your word to make our lives easier and more comfortable and not using your word. God, to cut away at our flesh to make us more in your image. And so Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would put these truths in our heart today, resonate them in our hearts today. May we hear your call to come to you. May we hear your call to depend upon you. May we hear your call to trust you. I pray that you would show us in our lives. God, may we not just be hearers of your word today. Make us doers of your word. Show us in what relationships, God, we're just hearing and we're not doing. We're not putting your word into practice. Show us those areas in our workplace, in those areas in our home, in those areas in our entertainment choices, those areas of our lives, God, where we're just hearing your word and we're not putting it into practice. Show us those areas of disobedience. Show us those areas where we've become calloused or careless in our lives and Holy Spirit, Teach us to lean upon you. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to obey you and not try to worry about the consequences and not try to worry about how that's going to work out for our lives. Teach us to obey you. Teach us to trust you. God, forgive us for giving you lip service and not following you with our whole heart. Father, thank you for taking time today to interrupt our, our program, to interrupt what we're, we've planned, to remind us of these things, to remind us that you love us, to remind us that you've opened a way for us to come to you, to remind us that you are fighting our battles, to remind us that you are working for our good. Holy Spirit, I pray that those words would go deep into our hearts today so deep that they transform our lives more fully than they ever have before. God, we declare dependence upon you today. We declare, we agree with your word that says without you, we can do nothing. And now Holy Spirit, we need you to show us how to do that. We need you to show us how to live that out. We need you to show us how to depend upon you in every area of our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray cover this body with your peace right now. Where there was anxiety about circumstances, where there was worry about situations, Cover us in peace right now. Holy Spirit, give clarity of mind right now to each of us. I just feel specifically, if you're here and you, you have a situation and you don't know what to do, I'm gonna, I, I, Holy Spirit, give clear direction in that matter right now where there's been a struggle to make a decision, a struggle to make a choice, 
Or maybe, God, there's, there's been a fight in their heart. Maybe they've known the decision they're supposed to make, but God, the, the, they, they feel you leading in one direction, but fear, unbelief, worry, God is causing them to go in another direction. Holy Spirit, I pray for clarity. I pray for courage. I pray for boldness right now to fill that heart. To be fully obedient to you. To not try to figure out all of the other circumstances. To not try to figure out how that step of obedience is going to look in five years or three years or even six months. God, give courage to be fully obedient to you. I really sense strongly today that there's at least one that's just struggling with that decision. And I get a sense that you know the decision you're supposed to make, but you're fighting it because you you don't think that that decision in six months, a year, or three years is going to look right. Take God at his word. Take God at his word. Don't rely on your feelings. Don't rely on your impressions. Take God at his word. His word. Dig into it for the direction that you need. Seek godly counsel from people of the word. If you ask, you're going to find people to agree with you in the wrong decision. But dig into the word and follow the word. So Holy Spirit, give clarity. Give courage. Give boldness. To each and every member of this body, I pray. To be people who follow your word wholeheartedly. take just a, a second. I just feel like, um, is there someone here that maybe you, you have a testimony on your heart? Like, it's like you were just hoping and praying that I would say, does someone have a testimony? Um, anybody? You want to share it with us? I got a testimony. I need to share it. All right. Oh, you do? Okay, come. I thought maybe it was just a test because I hate testimony time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I fear testimony time. And so I didn't know if the Lord was testing me or if someone really had a word. So go well, for it. Well, it's funny because I just felt like I was a pawn this morning because memory moments happened without my, my story that was on my heart. So, <laughs> But, um, yeah, it was kind of funny. Today is Judah's birthday. And so you guys, as many of you guys know, I lost Judah. Um, he was born, and then three days later he passed away. Um, but... Um, I guess the testimony is that, like, this this song is just crazy that we sang this song, too, because um, the day I found out that I was pregnant, I couldn't fall asleep that night, and um, 
I just had all these words going on in my head, and I was like, God, just let me go to sleep, and all these Bible verses were coming up, so finally I just grabbed my journal, and I just started writing, and it was, it was like, I'm going to take you through the fire, you're not, you're not going to be alone, I'm going to strengthen you, you're not going to, you're not going to, uh, you know, uh, you're going to go through the deep waters, like, it was just everything, like, it was just so cool, and I just look back on that, um, four years ago, and there were moments, you know, where you just get hit with such darkness, but the thing, the thing that really, God just covered us with his grace during that time, the thing that really shielded us was praise, and I felt like I was just supposed to talk about that today, because praise just, if you are having a bad day, or, I mean, every single day can be a bad day, every single day can be a good day, um, and it's all up to us. Um, we can we can seize the day. Yesterday, I woke up. Actually, all this past week, I was so cranky. I was like yelling at my kids. I was I was not good. And every every single hour, I'd just be like, Oh God, like what is wrong with me? And yesterday, it just came to a head where my husband was just being, just you guys you guys know John. Like he's just the most jolly creature ever in the whole world. <laughs> And he was helping me clean up the house, and I was just so fussy with him. Just like, did everything wrong? Like, and my kids were doing everything. They were making too much noise. They were being too happy. <laughs> you know, whatever. But, um, <laughs> and so I just, I, I like, I took it to God. I was like, God, I am not going to put up with this in myself. And I just started blessing my family. I started praising God for the beautiful family that he's given me. I started praising God for my husband, for how amazing he is, and just just fighting, fighting, fighting. And I just I just wanted to share that because every single day that we have, we can always find something to be unthankful for or ungrateful for, but we can always find something to be super thankful for. So anyway, I just today is such an amazing day to share that because it's my baby boy's birthday and I don't know, just four years ago is just such a, an amazing memory for us because I believe that the enemy just tried to come in and steal, steal, kill, and destroy, and God had victory. So anyway, have victory today. <laughs> All right. Praise God. All right. Well, we are, we had just finished up a series um, that we called Keep Calm and Keep Practicing over the last um, three weeks, really based on Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul says, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I can actually learn to live a life where I respond, no matter what my circumstances are, I can rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Not you know, if we sing a song I like, or if we, you know, do, if everything goes my way, or if everything in my life is perfect, then I will rejoice. No, I will rejoice. Every single day, it's a choice to rejoice. And we actually can learn to do that. And as we've talked about, the way we learn to do that is when things don't go our way. 
I mean, we have to face these hardships. In fact, just yesterday, I had a conversation with a friend on Facebook, and they said, I'm praying that God takes every person out of your life that speaks against you or um, ever tries to get in your way, and I'm praying that God will remove them from your life. And I said, please don't pray that for me, because then I will be immature and weak in my faith, because God uses people who speak against me and slander me and do all these things. He actually uses that to strengthen me. And we actually then had a conversation that was good. And because, uh, you know, on Facebook, that could go south really quick. And uh, but we actually had a, a conversation that was good because it's not the circumstances of my life. It's God is using it to mold me and shape me. But only if we keep practicing. Philippians 4, 9. You have to keep putting into practice what you have learned, received, heard or seen in me. And if we don't do that, the God of peace will not be with us. Far too many of us are trying to lean on our own understanding and wondering why we don't have peace. Well, if you're not going to put into practice what you've learned, received, heard, or seen, there will be no peace. And God has promised it for those that will. And we look through 2 Corinthians 1 through 7, all the stuff that Paul went through, Psalm 23, Philippians 4. We talked about this restored soul and how we get a restored soul in our lives and uh, what that looks like. And praise the Lord. Um, my phone keeps wanting to shut off. And so uh, if, I, if my phone shuts off, I might need you to go to the next screen for me. You're just going to have to be my friend today and help me out. So go ahead and put up uh, the next screen. We're, we're moving into a series that I told you we were going to move into on the life of Daniel. And it's called Thriving in Babylon. Thriving in Babylon. And there are two books that kind of supplement it. They're available on the Welcome Center if you want to purchase them. One is called The Daniel Dilemma. And this book talks about how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. We sometimes can be really good at standing firm. In fact, there's an extreme of standing firm um, where people in the body of Christ seem really mad at the world, the very people we're trying to reach. It's an extreme of standing firm. Then there's an extreme of loving well where we just tell people, oh, it's okay, God loves you, it doesn't matter what you do, you can live however you want, and that's an extreme. We need to find how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. Jesus was our example in John chapter 1. He came from the Father full of grace and truth, full of it. Not bouncing back and forth between grace and truth, he came full of grace and truth. Because truth without grace is mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. But grace and truth together are really good medicine. Um, and this is a great book. In fact, that quote comes from Chris Hodges right out of his book. And a few months ago, I gave you this paper that looks like this to talk about how to engage with unbelievers and how to pray for unbelievers. Because here's the thing. If you're not praying for an unbeliever, maybe you shouldn't engage them. I mean, I know the whole woman at the well. And so if you're not praying regularly for unbelievers in general, you probably shouldn't engage people because you don't have, you can't get the father's heart for the lost apart from praying for the lost. So if you're not going to pray regularly for lost people, you're probably going to do more harm than good engaging them in conversation. 
and trying to share the gospel. Now, that prayer can be just every morning in the shower. God, give me your heart for lost people. Help me to see them as you see them. It can be, but it's that daily reminder and opening ourselves to the spirit to say, so it's not like if you don't intercede for six hours a week. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you're not asking God to give you his heart for lost people, uh, you're probably, we're probably going to do it wrong. That's what we do. Um, the other book is called Thriving in Babylon, and uh, in fact, the series is called Thriving in Babylon just because I liked it better, um, and so it's not like one book is better than the other. They're both uh, supplemental readings because the book of Daniel is uh, probably one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. And we're going to read chapter one here in just a second, and uh, it's not on the screen, so if you want to turn to the Bible in front of you, it's on page 725, Daniel chapter one. Or if you want to grab your, your electronic Bible and use that, you can use that too. And so um, go ahead and grab that and uh, we'll get into Daniel chapter 1. And I'm not sure how much you know about the book of Daniel, um, but the book of Daniel is, is a prophetic book. And so there are parts of the book of Daniel that are prophecies that some believe are still in the future, some believe have already been fulfilled, and uh, that is a part of the book of Daniel. But I don't believe the book of Daniel is just a prophetic book. In Daniel chapter 1, we're introduced to four young men, and those young men are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We commonly refer to three of them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And next week, we're going to go into why um, their names were changed and what all of that means. But the, the nation of Babylon comes into Jerusalem, and they, King Nebuchadnezzar ransacks Jerusalem. They overthrow the temple. They do all of these things. And the story is actually told for us in 2 Kings chapter 24. And then he takes some of the, the men who are noblemen or royal people, and he's going to put them in his service. And Daniel chapter 1 tells us about this, this part of the story. And these young men were probably in their teens when they were taken. You've got to understand, we, we don't trust teenagers and children today the way they did in Bible days, mostly because as a culture, we don't put responsibility on them like they did in Bible days. Okay, so teenagers and children actually are, have the capacity to actually do more in the kingdom than we put on them, but we actually baby them far too long, and so we don't put the kingdom on them the way that we should. Um, infants and toddlers could pray for people to be healed and see them healed. Yeah, as soon as they can form words, it could happen. We could put that on them and teach them and train them, in that, and, and we should. But in Daniel chapter 1, if you're there, we're going to read it together. In the third year, verse 1, of the reign of Jehoiakim, who was king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. That's just a big word for he overthrew it. The Lord delivered, don't miss that, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Okay. Answer, who delivered Israel into the hand of Babylon? The Lord. Okay, that's really important. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God. He took some of the sacred articles, he carried them off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Now, who, who did this? The Lord enabled or gave permission, if you will, for King Nebuchadnezzar to do it. Verse 3, 
Then the king ordered Asphanaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now, that's a quite a resume right there, but apparently these four are qualified and then the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table they were to be trained for three years and after that they were entered into the king's service among those so there were many but among those who were chosen were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So these guys have been ripped from their homes, teenagers, good homes, noble homes, great future ahead of them, taken as captives into Babylon, into foreign culture, and being indoctrinated with the false religion, education, and culture of Babylon. That's important, and we'll talk about it, if not today, on other days. Verse 8, Daniel resolved, excuse me, let me read that again, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to file himself in this way. Now, crazy. I know we look at that and we think really of all the stuff they're about to be indoctrinated with and face and do. Why is he worried about food? But food to the Jewish culture was huge. And many of us do not understand the Old Testament. We do not understand that the kingdom of Israel was a kingdom that God set up not to have an earthly king. He didn't want them to go the ways of the world, but they chose, they wanted it, they wanted a king, they wanted to do it. He wanted to be their God. He wanted to set them apart from all of the kingdoms. And so, so many of the laws in the Old Testament help set the people apart from the other kingdoms of the world. So the, the, the dietary laws, it's not that it's necessarily sin as much as it's the cultural identity of being set apart for God. I mean, yes, there's an uncleanness that comes with it, but there's so much more, and I don't have time to go into it. These guys will go into it a little bit more, but we don't understand the Old Testament enough, and we want to just throw out the Old Testament and think it doesn't matter, but it actually gives us a background to understand stuff, even for us in the New Testament. So Daniel doesn't want to defile himself. Now God caused the official. Here we see him working again. It's almost like God's always at work. <laughs> God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid. The Lord my king who has assigned you your food and drink. What if he sees you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So Daniel asks permission. The guy in charge says, I would let you. But I'm afraid that if you don't look good, uh, that you know, I'm going to get killed. So then Daniel says... Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. 
So he agreed to this, tested them for 10 days, and at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind, and at the end of time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, for those of you that are in school and you think if you just pray, you don't have to study and you don't have to go to college and God's just going to make you 10 times smarter, you forget that they were being trained. Okay, they were going to school. Granted, it was the Babylonian school. So for those of you that think the education system in America is terrible, Babylon would have been worse. But God knows how to protect his people. He knows how to make sure, as long as we are training ourselves and putting our trust in him, God can protect us from what's true and what's false. We need to teach people to trust in what is true, not get them to rely on us to tell them what's false. And what is true is the God of this universe and his word that he's given to us. And as we teach people what is true, they're going to recognize the false. And so even in these Babylonian schools, they, they are 10 times smarter than all of those things. And so these guys are, are, are being trained, they're in the king's service, and oh, there's so much I want to cover, but we, I got to figure out what to do. And so, <laughs> whew, so much happens in the book of Daniel. Um, and don't worry, we've got lots of week to cover it. But this is chapter one. In chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in that dream, he sees this gold statue and it represents the kingdoms of the world. And later on, Daniel has some visions and he describes those in chapter seven through uh, 12. I believe 12 is the last chapter of the book of Daniel. And he brings that vision in. And the whole point of the visions that Daniel gets throughout the whole book is this. The kingdoms of the earth are bad. God is going to push them aside and he's going to set up a kingdom that is good. It will not be a kingdom like other kingdoms of the earth. It's a kingdom of heaven that is going to come down and be on the earth. I believe that kingdom is already here, but it is not yet fully established. It will one day be a totally visible kingdom on the earth. But I believe Jesus instituted a kingdom when he came. The Son of Man came to the earth, and Daniel talks about that. Now, as you read through the book of Daniel, you're going to see that the, the first six chapters are kind of a historical story. And then in chapter 7, it actually backtracks and begins to tell you some visions that Daniel had under certain kings. So if you get to chapter 6 and you see Daniel in the lion's den, then you read chapter 7 and think that the vision that Daniel just had in chapter 7 came after the lion's den, you, you don't understand. Because it actually happened during the reign of Belshazzar, which was in chapter 5. I believe. So you've got to read it and pay attention to the names and the, the themes as you go. I believe the theme of the book of Daniel 
Yes, there's a prophetic thing throughout the book of Daniel. Yes, there's this theme that God delivers people through the book of Daniel. The the fiery furnace they were delivered from, the lion's den they, they were delivered from. But I do not believe that the theme of Daniel is just that if you obey God, God will always deliver you. I don't think that that's the case. And the reason I don't think that's the case is because right here in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about these men and women of faith who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and they became powerful in battle. They routed foreign armies and women received back their dead to life again. And that is a part of the book of Daniel. It is true that God does this, but the problem is chapter 11 doesn't end there. And I even put the women receive their loved ones back again from death so you would understand. This is still verse 35, this right here, but, same verse, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed and mistreated. And all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, but none of them received all that God had promised. None of them. Why is this important to us? Because in our American culture, we try to interpret the scripture through the American culture. When we read Romans chapter 8, God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We think of those individually. But the word those in Romans chapter 8 is actually plural. God is working for the good of his kingdom, his people. And as individuals in that kingdom, sometimes deliverance actually is best for God's kingdom. And sometimes walking with us through fire and even martyrdom is best for his kingdom. But we tend to view the kingdom of God as it's all about me and mine. It's all what's best for me. It's what's best for my family. It's how, it's, how I'm gonna be more comfortable here in this life. It's about how God's gonna make everything better for me. And then when it doesn't work out that way all the time, we look at the book of Daniel and we think, well, maybe I have sin in my life or maybe God isn't who he said he was. No, he is always at work. And he is with us through the fire. And sometimes he actually delivers us from the fire. But the book of Daniel is not just God always delivers. I believe the book of Daniel is how to live in a culture that is opposed to God. And trust that God is at work even through one of the most wicked kingdoms in the entire land. The the kingdom of Babylon is such a wicked kingdom. I mean, I know we think America, every, every generation thinks that this generation is the worst generation that's ever lived. And we long for the past. We long for the good old days. But can I tell you, in the good old days, whenever yours were, okay, because we're all different ages here, so the good old days could be the 80s for you, or it could be like the 60s or the 40s, I don't know, okay, but your good old days were someone's, the worst of, worst of times that ever happened. And we, we, we buy into this lie that if we could just go back to the good old days, well, we can't go back to the good old days, but what we can do is learn to trust God in these days. 
and live like God is in control of these circumstances. And so Daniel chapter four, I want to just share two, two passages. I want you to see, because King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in this dream, he is basically being told if he doesn't repent, God's going to make him go out in the fields like a wild animal and be crazy. And Daniel has to give him this dream, this interpretation. And the king says, don't hide anything from me. But look at what Daniel says. I wish the events, Belshazzar, that's Daniel, replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. Nebuchadnezzar is a wicked king. And let me ask, let me, hypothetically, I don't know if you're more of a fan of President Trump or more of a fan of President Obama or more of a fan of another president. But pick one you don't like, okay? So there's a president of our nation that you don't like, you think is ungodly and you think he's wicked. And there is a Christian that serves as his advisor. And that Christian actually feels compassion. I wish this wasn't going to happen to you. How would we, the American church, respond to that person? I'm guessing we'd be like, they're, they're a sellout. They're not a Christian. They're not standing up to him. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're, we would totally judge them. We don't do that to Daniel, but we would do that in, in our day. That, that's just my opinion. Maybe I'd be totally wrong, but I feel that's what happens. And then in chapter three, one chapter before that, here we get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're about to be thrown into this fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down and worship a false god. And they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he does not, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. They don't know that they're about to be delivered. They, for all they know, are going to burn up in this fire. And they don't use this last moment to appeal for mercy or to, you know, even take shots at this king. And I don't know who you think you are. God's going to get you. God's going to judge you. They just appeal to him in a very respectful, honoring way, even though he's about to throw them into a furnace. We don't live that way here in, in the good old United States of America. We tend to be less respectful of those that we politically come against. And you say, well, Pastor Tom, what, where are we going? Here's the thing. America is not God's kingdom. Oh, I let it out. I was really worried. It is not. It's, it is a kingdom of the world, just like every other kingdom that Daniel prophesies about, that's going to be pushed aside for the kingdom of God to come. Somewhere in the 1980s, we started advocating a verse similar to this, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. And we started talking about how God has blessed the United States of America because of our righteousness. Now, I want to be careful what, I, what I'm saying here, and I want you to be careful to hear what I'm saying and not fall asleep at any point over these next couple minutes. It's never a bad idea to put God's word into practice. Never. Because there are laws that God has set up, and if you sow God's word, you reap benefits from that. It's just, it's a law that God has instituted. But we've kind of cherry-picked our righteousness here in America, and we've made it seem like God has blessed us and that he has loved us at the beginning, but now he loves us less because of our sin. 
And we cherry pick it based on things like abortion, homosexuality, gambling, prostitution, the real big sins. And we overlook slavery, racism, adultery, greed, slander that have been a part of our culture since the founding of the United States of America. Now, I love our founding fathers. I love that they talked about God. I love that they put the Bible up on a pedestal and said, you know, obey God's law, put God's word into practice. I'm all for it. But church, our righteousness, even as a nation, is not in our ability to follow the book. Our righteousness is only found in Christ. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So if we think that just getting everyone in America to follow this book is going to get God to bless us, again, it's a good idea because anytime you put God's word into practice, it's better than the alternative. But I think somehow the church is starting to sell its soul to what Jesus warned in Mark chapter 8, the feast or the yeast of Herod. And we're putting all of our eggs into a political basket. And I've lived through eight years of a Republican president, maybe even longer, and a Republican Congress. And you know what I did not see? I did not see a sweeping revival across our nation. What I saw were laws passed that made it easier for us to go to church buildings and for us to have free taxes on our property and all of these nice things. But it didn't make us as a people actually more into the kingdom and spreading the kingdom throughout our nation. However, I look around the world today and I see in Islamic nations where it's illegal to be a Christian that actually the kingdom of God is spreading. Be careful. I mean, vote. Get the word out to vote. Vote for righteousness. Vote for whatever you feel is God's plan for this nation. But when your guy or your gal doesn't get elected to any office, don't act like the sky is falling. Because God is still at work. We're going we're gonna to keep coming back to this over the next couple weeks. But what I want to give us before we leave today is this concept of knowing our God. We have got to understand that God has a purpose and plan for his kingdom, which is in America, it's his kingdom. As Americans or as Chinese or as Middle Eastern people, we all are in his kingdom. We're under the flag of his kingdom. Now, I don't mind being respectful to the flag of our nation and being respectful to people that have fought for the freedoms that we have in this nation and even standing up for the, the freedoms that we have in this nation. But I'm not going to put all of my eggs into the American freedom basket. I'm putting my eggs into the kingdom of God basket. And I believe Daniel, in a, in a culture even worse than American culture, was able to see the kingdom of God impact four different kings and two different earthly kingdoms. Daniel had influence with Nebuchadnezzar. He had influence at least with the queen under Belshazzar. Belshazzar then exalts him to third in the kingdom. And under Darius the Mede and under Cyrus. I mean, Daniel is in power and has influence over kingdoms. And he never once fights against the culture of the day. He just refuses to defile himself. 
In Daniel chapter 9, or excuse me, I got to go to Daniel chapter 11 first. Daniel chapter 11, he, in this verse, the enemy of God's people, shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Many scholars believe Daniel chapter 11 is actually a prophecy about Antichius when he came in, ransacked Jerusalem, set up idols in the temple, and tried to overthrow the people. But then there was the Maccabean revolt. If you read Jewish history, you'll get this stuff. It's not contained in the scripture. It's after that. So the Maccabean revolt comes, and the nation of Israel gets their independence, sort of, and they can worship again the way that they meant. So some people believe Daniel chapter 11 is that prophecy. Some believe it's futuristic, it's not even happened yet. That yes, it was that time, but there's a future interpretation further out. Whether it was that time or this time or a future time, this is a true statement. The enemy will seduce with flattery, those who violate the covenant or those who walk away from God's word, God's covenant, who are disobedient to him. But the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. And the way that Paul describes it in Philippians chapter three, I wanna know Christ. I don't wanna just know the facts about Christ. I wanna know him. I wanna know the power of his resurrection. I wanna know this, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I wanna become like him in his death so that I could somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. And when we looked at Psalm 23, we said, the Lord is my shepherd. The covenant. I'm not going to violate the covenant. The Lord is my shepherd. Philippians 4, I will rejoice in the Lord. I do not rejoice in the circumstances of my day or what's happening. I rejoice in the Lord. That word no is an experiential word. It doesn't talk about getting facts. It doesn't talk about coming and getting a classroom lecture about who God is. It's a laboratory word. It's saying, here, you've read about this God. You've heard about this God. Now you need to put this God God into practice in your daily life. You need to not violate his covenant. You need to put it into practice. You need to follow after him and you need to set your heart on being obedient because that's how you come to know him. How do I know that? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we looked at this when we went through these, these chapters. Paul says, we went through great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. We despaired of life itself and we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened so that we would learn to rely on, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And the difficulties we go through in life, we're like, oh God, get me out of this difficulty. Oh God, help me. Oh God, deliver me. Oh God. And here's the thing. You need to keep praying that because God does deliver his people. But you also need to have a type of faith that when God doesn't deliver us the way we thought, it stands firm and it trusts even when the fire seems to consume us. That's what Daniel did. That's how Daniel lived his life. You see, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying a prayer. Or Daniel is actually telling us about a prayer he prayed. He says, I understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet. Can I, here, you want a point? Point number one, you will never know God apart from this book. So if you are not in this book regularly, you will not know God. You will be deceived with flattery by the enemies of God. You have to be in this book regularly, putting it into practice. Otherwise, 
All bets are off. It's not enough to be in the book. We have to respond to the book. Jeremiah, the prophet, says, the Lord is going to deliver Israel after 70 years. And so Jeremiah says, I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer, in petition, in fasting, in sackcloth, and in ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. We cannot just be people of the book. We have to be people of prayer. We claim to be a people who depend upon God, but the truth of whether or not we are a people who depend upon God, are, are we a people who pray? Are we a people who call on God? You know, the, our culture today is all about, you know, get a principle, get something from the Bible, just start putting it into practice. I mean, prayer, you, you can pray if you want to. You know, you can pray to have communion with God. No, you pray to get the heart of God. Otherwise, you could take this book and you could make it mean anything your little heart desires. And so if we don't take this book and we don't take it to prayer, we are not going to understand it. We are not going to know God. Today, if we had a church picnic, attendance would boom. I mean, people would come, hey, church picnic, we're going to have games, we're going to have fun. If we had a church fun activity, people would show up. But when we have prayer... We're not convinced prayer actually matters. We're not convinced prayer actually changes anything. We will be convinced when we actually pray because we know that's how things change. It's way easier to pass a petition. It's way easier to get certain people elected. It's way easier to just memorize a you know, five-step Romans road and try to share it with people than it is to actually intercede and pray. And not just corporately, individually. We need to be people of the word. We need to be people of prayer. And then we need to be humble people. Daniel says, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not. Daniel puts himself in this. I don't know what Daniel was like when he lived back in, in the nation of Israel, but here's, here's what I know. Um, here, he takes responsibility for it. Too many in the church world, we read the Bible and we begin to pray for our nation and the wickedness out there, and we don't deal with the wickedness in here. And we spend a lot of time trying to get people out there to act better and then they'll just die in their sin of acting better, their righteous, filthy rags, instead of getting on our faces before God and saying, God, you got to change our nation. you got to change our hearts. See, Daniel, res Daniel resolved not to defile himself. When a law was passed outlawing prayer, I'm not talking about America, Babylon, actually Medes and Persians, because the Babylonians have been overthrown. When a law was passed that Daniel was not allowed to pray, Daniel did not seek counsel with the king. He did not seek to go to the king and say, hey, I, I want to pray. He didn't ask for a special dispensation. You know what he did? He opened the window as before and he prayed. He, I bet he could have. The king loved Daniel. And if Daniel would have said, hey, 
Could you pass a different law? But no, Daniel said, I'm going to pray. See, we've passed a law in America that the school cannot force children to pray. And yet we say, prayer has been taken out of schools. No, it never has. Forced prayer has been taken out of school. Parent, teach your child to pray at school. Teach your child to walk the hallways and ask God to show up in that building. Teacher in a public school system, go to school early and circle your classroom and ask the Spirit of God to resonate on the hearts and to fall on the hearts of children, that they're convicted of their sin, that people walking down the halls of those schools are convicted. Let's start training our kids. I don't care what laws have been passed. Let's train our kids to be like Daniel and just begin to, I'm going to refuse to defile myself. Well, well, pastor, I'm a teacher. What if I get fired? What if? What if you get thrown into the lion's den? I don't know. All I know is we can refuse to defile ourselves. I think our reactions to everything that's happening right now in our nation reveal our depth of our knowledge of God. The way we're responding, the weapons we choose to fight with, it either exposes a lack of trust in God or it shows a depth of trust in who he is. And so here's a question I want to ask you before we leave. Here it is. How well do you know him? How well do you know him? I'd encourage you to write that down and pray it all week long. God, how well do I know you? Because I believe some of us today struggle to have faith to believe for the deliverance. Everything I said today, you're kind of in agreement with, but you're one of those that you have a hard time asking for the miracle. You have a hard time asking for, every time you pray for a miracle, you have to clarify it with, God, if it be your will. Well, here's, let me let you know a little secret. If it's not his will, you can ask till you're blue in the face. It's not happening. I mean, you don't have to clarify every time you pray for someone to be healed, if it's your will. You are not strong enough to twist God's arm and make him do something against his will. But he has told us in this book, ask, keep asking. The only time he clarified an if it be your will statement was when he was agonizing over his own death and said, if it's possible, let this pass for me. No other time did he say, if it be your will. He actually taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, assuming we would have knowledge of his will. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't let your disappointments of the past keep you from asking for the miracle. Some of us have a hard time exercising faith to stand firm when God doesn't deliver, when God doesn't answer the way we expect it. And we start thinking that politicians and pastors and bosses and teachers and these people in our lives have more control than what God has given to them. And we have to rise up and revolt. That's the great American spirit, the revolutionary war. Rise up and revolt! Or trust. Trust. As we start looking at the, the faith of Daniel, I hope that the faith to believe for breakthroughs, the faith to stand firm no matter what happens, and the resolve not to defile ourselves 
begins to grow in our hearts because that's how we prove we know him. That's how we prove to the world that we know him. We're going to take time over the next couple weeks. We're going to look at more from the book of Daniel. But those are the questions I want to leave you with today. And I want to invite you to stand. I want to pray over you. I want to pray a blessing over you. But I want to pray that these questions would resonate in our hearts this week. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray right now for each and every person in this room, for those watching online today, God, for those that are gonna listen to this message later this week, I pray that these questions would resonate in our hearts this week. Holy Spirit, I pray for clarity that you would begin to pinpoint areas of our lives where there's a lack of knowledge that's being exposed. God, I pray that you would help us to exercise faith for miracles, for the deliverance, for the breakthrough. God, for those in this room today who, because of hope that has been deferred, because of disappointment in the past, because of pains that they've walked through, and they've been afraid to ask for something supernatural. Holy Spirit, I pray Bring them to a place where they can begin to exercise that faith again, to trust you for the breakthrough, to trust you for the miracle, to trust you for the deliverance. With no escape clause, but to fully trust you. Father, for those in this room today that are struggling with a circumstance where they've expected a different outcome, other than what's here. Help us to exercise our faith as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear evil. Help us to know that you are with us, that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Help us to see the table that you have prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. And help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And Holy Spirit, show us how to resolve not to defile ourselves. Show us how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. Over this week, over the weeks ahead, help us to be people of your word, to be people of prayer, and to be people of humility so that we can come to know you more. Your word declares you give great grace to the humble, but you stand opposed to the proud. So humble us. Humble us that we might receive your grace. Now, Father, I pray over this body today. I pray your blessing over their lives in every way. I pray that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them that you would be gracious to them. Lord, lift up your countenance upon them. Give them peace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, thank you for, I know I went a little over today. Thank you for your patience.
our prayer team is always in the front at the end of the service because we want to give you opportunity. If you haven't been prayed for and you want prayer, we want that opportunity. The altars are always open if you want to spend time in prayer. Um, if you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to stay here and pray a little while longer. God bless you as you go.